Well, welcome everyone. Like Beck said, we're excited to have you in the house today, especially um, congratulations. Whenever there's like single digits in the weather report, I feel like everyone needs to be commended for at least just like showing up because like, yeah, honestly, Jack's like, seriously, amen. Because it's so hard to get out of bed on a Sunday when it's like, this morning when I woke up, it was five degrees. I was like, oh my goodness. So for all of us lugging it out of bed, congratulations to everyone listening on the podcast. We see you. Um, But I am continuing our series on um, faith under fire. And so we've been going through for the last like four or five weeks um, through stories in the Bible that show us how um, our faith can help us handle the real life problems that we can um, come up to in any part of life, whether that's like a strange relationship, like Jess was saying before, or um, a bad diagnosis. I'm not going to try and Um, pluralize that word, toxic habits, bad choices, all of these things that really are just kind of like day-to-day things that we we can come up against because I feel like um, it might be like the morbid reality of life, but any given person at any given time is either going through something really hard, is either standing with someone as they go through something really hard or is um, in a season probably before something's really hard. And that seems like a really glass half empty approach of things and a really pessimistic approach. But um, I think it's really important not to lose that, um, lose the sight of the darkness of what life on this earth is really like and the human experience is really like. And so um, I think having an awareness of that and being and just like acknowledging that the world can be dark and life can be hard and um, relentlessly hard even, I think that that gives a real weight and a real revelation to what Jesus did and um, the relevance that that still has. And that is how we can cling to him and have hope in him. And so I don't, I, if, I would encourage you to not shy away from um, just almost like the darkness of the world and instead just have an awareness of it, but make sure that that is supplemented with awe and adoration and praise of Jesus because it's only because of him that we don't have to cling to this world and we don't have to be um, have our identity attached in this world, but instead we have the promise of eternal life and hope in Jesus. And so but the title of, this me- of my message this morning and something that I would say is like a real key to maintaining and strengthening our faith through adversity is um, approach with boldness. And I think that that is a, um, a skill or a practice that we can learn that um, through any season, good, bad, um, or vicariously bad, that once we learn to approach with bold, approach Jesus with boldness, um, we can withstand much more. And so this morning we find this wonderful and wild story of um, a woman with the issue of blood, and we find her in um, three of the four Gospels. But this morning um, I want to speak from Mark's Gospel because the way Mark writes his account of the Gospel He does a really good job of talking about the deeds of Jesus and he kind of had the audience in mind that were non-believers and so he does a really good job of not not using isolating language and not using too much um, emphasis on genealogies and things like that and so it's really easy to, to read the stories that he writes and understand the deeds of Jesus and what the power that came through them and so Um, He writes about um, this encounter with the woman of the issue in the blood. And one of the um, techniques that he uses throughout his account of the gospel is called intercalation. And 
I mean, I hope I said that right because I know there are teachers in the house today. But um, pretty much what it is, is it's a technique that goes like you tell a story and you shove it in to another story. And so it kind of goes A1, B, A2, or like, I mean, I cannot help but just visualise an actual sandwich. And... Um, and so it's kind of like bread filling bread. And the way that um, taking these stories together instead of taking them and eating them separately is the same equivalent of eating like a spoonful of Vegemite is very different than eating Vegemite when it's like between two delicious white pieces of bread. And so it, it affects how we interpret it. It affects how we um, understand it and kind of get this broader understanding of what we're being told. And so we can't tell... Well, I'm sure we can, but I'm not going to tell the story of the woman with the issue of the blood without telling those, like, two outsider stories. And so um, we'll be reading from Mark chapter 5, and we'll start with the bread. But first, I want to read you two scriptures from the Old Testament that give a bit of context to the significance of our story. Would you mind raising this up a little bit? Thank you. Help, mate. What a guy. Um, so the first one is from Numbers 19, and it says, All those who touch a dead human body, gosh, dark place to start. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, will be ceremoni ceremonially unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves on the third and seventh day with water of purification. Then they will be purified. But if they don't do this on the third and seventh day, they will continue to be unclean even after the seventh day. All those who touched a dead body and do not purify themselves in the proper way defile the Lord's tabernacle and they will be cut off from the community of Israel. This is the ritual law that applies when somebody dies inside a tent or a house. Um, all those who enter that tent and those who were inside when the death occurred will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Dark. And then the second one is from Leviticus 15, and it says, um, I think I've got a different version on the screen. Sorry, Cam, I stitch you up with that. But it's Leviticus 15, verse 25, and it says, A woman who has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, will be considered unclean. Any person or thing she, touch, she touches will be considered unclean until evening. And so um, that brings context and significance to the two stories that we're about to hear. But um, let me pray, and then we'll read from Mark. So God, oh, we just come to you as people who are aware of our own shortfalls and our own um, lack of cleanliness and perfection and righteousness, God. We just want to put ourselves aside so that we would be able to receive a great revelation from you, Lord, that we would be able to be encouraged, to be strengthened and to be equipped to be able to approach you with boldness through whatever seasons we're going through and whatever seasons are to come, Lord. I pray that you would strengthen us as Christians who can endure darkness, who can endure hard things, and Lord, that you would make us strong, bold, and courageous in Jesus' name. Amen. And so in Mark 5, verse 21, this is, um, I'm going to skip that middle chunk, but we're reading the bread. Um, so Mark, Mark 5, 21, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed crowding around him. 
Messages are, messengers arrived, so we've missed the middle part. Messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, again, sorry if this is a different version, um, they told him, your daughter is dead and there's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. And then Jesus stopped to the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except for Peter, James and John. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. And so... I think um, I've heard a lot of stories focus on the girl who was raised and um, the way Jesus did that and things like that. But I think that there are times in our own lives where our faith comes under fire because we're standing for someone else through their trial. And the way that um, we see Jairus act in this um, story, I think creates like this really probable rhythm of what we would do or how we would act. And so he like literally goes to Jesus with boldness and with urgency and with desperation in a faith that like requires Jesus to move in the supernatural now. And then Jesus actually goes with him and you can just like imagine like the hope and the relief, but like urgency of being like, okay, cool. I said she was dying, but like, I think she's actually dead. So like, we need to kind of go now. And, and Jesus goes with him But then he stops and he speaks to someone else, which we'll hear about in a little minute. But um, he operates on a timeline that is simply not quite what we want to see. We want to see Jesus be like, take me to her. Where is she? I'll run with you. But instead, he has this like seemingly like medical misconduct where he prioritizes this other story over something that carries a real urgency. And then people are around Jairus this whole time telling him that his hope is misplaced. He said, like, Jairus has seen evidence himself that suggests his hope is misplaced. And yet still we see Jesus offer this consolation that is not empty, but it's almost like a call to courage for Jairus to not be afraid, but have faith. And I feel so strongly that um, I, I know a dozen stories in this room alone of people who are standing alongside others who have had their faith come under fire, who have been had terrible diagnosis after terrible diagnosis, who can't escape bad relationships, who cannot seem to catch a break. And we're here standing with them thinking, we need Jesus to show up like right now. And I want to encourage you that there's not just a consolation in who Jesus is, but there is a call to courage that no matter what it looks like on the outside, no matter how much you're trying to hurry Jesus up to align with what you want, no matter what um, people are trying to discourage you in, it's a, Jesus says, don't be afraid, but have faith. And the more I have meditated on that, the more that is not an empty scripture, but it's a tool to carry into whatever we're facing. And um, I have been so encouraged to read in this story um, to see that if Jesus had answered Jairus' request in the way that Jairus had wanted, so much would be different. But because Jesus did it in his way, 
the blessings and the effect of that was so multifaceted that we can like so easily see how it affects way more than what Jairus was expecting. We see that Jairus' own faith would have grown so much out of this encounter. It, um, and Jairus was a leader in the synagogue. And so the way that he would have taught would have been different. The way that he would have expected God to show up would have been different. It would have been the centre of this society changed because of the way that Jesus answered this prayer. His own daughter's life is saved because of how Jesus did this. And maybe that should have been first in the list. But... That is a huge miracle and one that maybe Jairus' faith like actually didn't expect to happen to be properly raised from the dead. There would be testimonies from the crowd who were laughing at Jesus. There would be um, his, Jesus' disciples would have been empowered to think, okay, if this, is, if this is possible, anything can be impossible. And if I'm going out in the name of Jesus, who I just saw raise a girl from the dead, what else is possible on this world? And it also created room for somebody else to approach Jesus in, this, in that story and get her miracle and have her life changed. And so as a community centred on Christ, I think this is um, a tool or a key for us to approach, approach God with boldness when, and that's when, not if, we advocate for someone else. And I think that there is so much power in advocating for someone else. And I'm not talking about like our thoughts and prayers. I'm talking about um, committing to pray for someone and loving on someone and supporting someone relentlessly, encouraging them, reaching out to them. Over and over and over, we get to stand with them through their trial, whether they're believers, whether they seem too far gone, whether they, you feel like you've already left them for dead. We get to go into the throne room to the Father in the name of Jesus and be able to stand with them through it. And so there's a few things that um, I'm literally just going to like list out from what we can learn from how Jairus approached this um, situation and approached Jesus with the boldness. And if you are in the season of standing with someone where um, you feel discouraged, where people are like, hey, maybe just like let that go, maybe just walk away from that, or maybe just like keep yourself at a safer distance, Jesus says, don't be afraid, but just have faith. And so if you feel like your faith is like withering, it's expired, you left it there a few weeks ago, it seemed to be hopeless, the word for you today is do not be afraid or discouraged by what people are saying, but just have faith. So like Jairus, we have to put ourselves in the presence of Jesus. We have to humble ourselves sincerely before Jesus. We must lay our requests before Him and we must muster up enough faith to keep following Jesus all the way home. Even when it doesn't look like it, even when it doesn't feel like it, even if we don't get that butterfly rush that sometimes we get when we see Jesus do what we want him to do, we must have the courage and the strength to follow Jesus all the way home through every single season. And so then inside the bread, we get this little story that, that is just like pocketed in there from um, Mark, verse, Mark 5, verse 25 to um, 34. And so this is when Jesus was en route to Jairus' daughter's house. And so G- Jairus was trying to hurry him up. I feel like we all know like being hurried up out of the house, being like, let's go, let's go, us this morning. And, um, and so you can imagine that the urgency would be there. And yet this story is just like, pocketed perfectly in there and and it goes like this it says a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had yet instead of getting better she grew worse 
And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. But at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And so this woman's faith forms the centre of the sandwich that is like the key to its interpretation because through her, Mark shows how faith in Jesus can transform our fear and our despair and our isolation and turn it into hope and salvation. However, unlike Jairus, um, this woman didn't really have the luxury of being able to like stop the crowd and walk in front of everyone and fall in front of his feet and you know make this huge petition to him and and shout out because coming um, from that Levitical rule that we read earlier, she has she is ceremonially unclean and so she wouldn't have. Um, the option to come before other people, to um, no one wants to touch her, no one wants to kind of see her because if she touches them, like they're unclean as well. And I feel like this took me straight back to like COVID contact tracing. You know, if you were like a close contact and instantly you were like, oh my gosh, I've seen this person, they've got a new baby and I've seen this person, they had a really big job interview and I've ruined everything as a result of it. Like it's crazy how quickly your mind can just... Um, assess the consequences of your own uncleanliness. And I think that, you know, in a um, post-contact tracing world, we have a very unique uh, perspective to be able to really relate to this because we have journeyed the season of uncleanliness and a text message gets sent out saying you were the one who did it and, you know, they don't put a name but they know that it was you there in, like, the coat or whatever. Like, everyone knows. And so because of that law... You can imagine like the pit in her stomach when she feels herself healed and she gets this moment of like, and then Jesus stops and she would be like, no, 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 no. And then he turns around and he says, who touched me? And she was like, oh my gosh, he's on the way to raising this girl from the dead and I touched him and now he can't go because he's ceremonially unclean. Like that is the consequence that she would have been facing. And yet she would have like, she spent the last 12 years of her life like this. And having people avoid her, having people not want to touch her, talk to her, um, have relationships with her, whatever. So it's likely that she's in this crowd and she's disguised. She's got her head down. She's just trying to get a touch of Jesus' robe. And she had tried everything else. And yet the Israelite law said that for her to like obtain healing from God, she would need to go into the temple. And yet she couldn't enter the temple because she needed healing from God. And so I feel like she really finds herself in a rut here, yet I think that it is so easy for us to get into that same rut of having like these thoughts or these suppositions where we think, I just have to get myself together like a little bit before I can really approach God in the way I know I need to seek him. Or I just need to like jump through these hoops or, um, you know, go through these rituals or present my way in like this, or even just to come to church on a Sunday, it feels like we need to put on the disguise of being like, All good, great week, killing it, not making bad choices here. I'm not unclean, I'm fine. And yet 
We don't want people to know who we really are and what we're really struggling with because what if they judge me or what if they know or what if they can sense? And yet we see here that the woman did not make Jesus unclean, but because of her faith, he made her he made her clean. And John 1, 5 says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it because there's nothing, nothing that will make him less perfect, nothing he cannot handle, nothing that goes under his radar. And I don't need, to, I don't know who needs to hear this or who needs to share this or who needs to replay this part on the podcast, but you are actually allowed to come to Jesus not feeling like you are 100% your authentic self, but just underneath you have the faith that things, I need you, Jesus. You see what I've got going on under here. You see I cannot maintain this anymore. But even if you're carrying shame and guilt and doubt and deception, and even if you're in the middle of your fire, whether that's internal or whether that's something external, there is nothing that you cannot bring to the cross and to the feet of Jesus to be redeemed, to be seen, to have your value reinstated, to be reaffirmed that you're worthy of love, that you can be healed, that you can be saved, and that the promises you read of in the Bible aren't just for the gyruses in the world and aren't just for the people you'd count as significant, but the ones who are um, dirty, shamed, unclean, all of that, Jesus died on the cross for them and for us, and for me, and for you. And then we see in verse 25, think that this is really interesting, that she spent everything she has on doctors. And maybe these days we do the same thing and we invest in all the wrong places when we are under fire, when we're going through something hard or when we've done something that we can't even face. Our souls, when they're sick, might go to the doctor of entertainment and binge hours of Netflix or scroll hours of TikTok or maybe we go to the doctor of success and we cannot face anything else so I'll just focus on my work and my career and I really just want to chase this like measurable value of success in our lives. Or maybe we go to the doctor of self-help, the doctor of busyness, the doctor of whatever you find is just your easy um, medicine to avoid um, dealing with the undercurrent of what is actually the root. And yet there is only one who can offer us the true hope and redemption and love and healing. And the early church actually called Jesus the divine physician. And in Mark 2.17, so earlier in that chapter, the scriptures say, why does he eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are healthy have no need of a physician, but only those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners who recognize their sin and humbly seek forgiveness. And that's out of the Amplified Version. And Jesus' whole purpose was to save the sinners and pay the price so that we could live in eternal relationship with God. This woman entered the presence of Jesus with boldness of believing that he could save her from suffering. But when we see in verse 31, there was a huge crowd around him. And so like even the disciples were like, "Uh, you can see everyone here. Of course, somebody touched you. And so we're faced with the reality that there is a difference between being in the crowd, touching up against Jesus and actually reaching out to Jesus. And Spurgeon puts it like this. It's not every contact with Christ that saves man. It is the arousing of yourself to come near him 
the determinate, the personal, resolute, believing touch of Jesus Christ that saves. And so, you know, if you feel like you've been running through the motions every week, you've been doing the right things, you've been opening your Bible up, you've got a streak, it's all happening, and yet you're not seeing any difference, there is a difference in coming to church. There is a difference between being in the crowd and rubbing shoulders against Jesus and being in the general life and actually drawing yourself near to him and believing that he can do what he said he would do and believe that those promises are for you. And so um, we see, we talk about those things from before, the Levitical law and the law from Numbers. And those things that were declared unclean by our Old Testament laws, those ones we spoke about, um, if you were ceremonially unclean, which um, we see the woman with the issue of the blood obviously was, she was like named very specifically, but Jairus also was because he was in the room with a dead body and also the girl was because she was the dead body and therefore also Jesus was, you know, contact tracing be like. Um, so these things either have to be purified or destroyed. And so they can be destroyed by washing them with water, burning them with fire, broke, they can be broken, they can be torn down or they can be demolished. And so if they're not destroyed, they have to be purified. And the scriptures read on to say that for purification, we need a sacrifice. So so before the time of Jesus, if you were ceremonially unclean, you need to bring a sacrifice in order to be purified. And the eternal sacrifice has already been made so that we don't need to be broken or torn down or demolished by the things we face and when our faith comes under fire. But instead, Jesus speaks to us with that consolation and a call to courage. The scriptures say later that Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. You will. You will. You will have trouble. But take heart because I have overcome this world. And I love that Beck was speaking about it earlier, that we don't conform to the patterns of this world. We don't. We're constantly transformed. We're constantly anchored to a realm that is beyond what we can see. And I love that there are only two stories that I've mentioned here, or it's one story sandwich with two little people who approach Jesus with boldness. Jairus has 12 years of his daughter's life that were about to end. The woman has 12 years of suffering that she can't see end. Jairus's prayer was answered secretly. The woman's was answered publicly. Jesus responds immediately to the woman, but to, the, um, to Jairus after a delay. And so you can never put a formula on how we approach Jesus or how Jesus is going to respond. But that is the beauty of the Word of God, is that it is alive and active. And we read these stories and we turn to the Bible to learn how to face, um, how to face hard things and how to keep our faith strong and growing and changing during our faith journey when we are under fire or we are advocating for someone who's under fire. And um, our circumstances can be so different, but be encouraged that when we approach Jesus with when we approach Jesus with boldness, we know that he will answer as a redeeming God and one who is kind and one who is saving and one who puts emphasis on the individual and he is generous with his grace. And so if the band would like to come back up, it's my minutes done. <laughs> but I would love to be able to pray for you guys because um, many of what we're going th- much of what we're going through is unique. It's unlikely that you'll be able to find the copy and paste version in the Bible. And yet we do, what we do know is that we will have troubles. And um, 
unprecedented or not, we are part of a community that is centred on Christ and we are here to strengthen each other's weaknesses, to stand with each other when we are under fire. We get to encourage one another, pray for one another, go through hard things together and speak life into one another. The power of testimony and the power of seeking God is so, more, so much more multifaceted than you would first think. But we have to have faith in Jesus. We need to approach him with boldness and we need to be able to trust him through every season despite what our natural eyes would see. So if you would like to stand, we'll keep worshipping. Oh, Jessica, didn't even know you were there. Everyone, seamless ingress. Um, but there are two groups of people who I would love to pray for today. I have to take my jacket off or I'm going to have a panic attack. For reals. <laughs> um, the first is those who are standing with someone significant in your life, whether that is a friend, a spouse, a colleague, a child. And you are just seeing them rough and tumble. And it's just like blow after blow after blow. And you just think, God, where are you? Where are you? I need them to know your love. I need them to know your saving grace. I need them to know your power. Can I speak life into you that you are perfectly positioned for this time? God has given you everything you need to be able to be transformative in that situation, regardless of how relentless it seems. And the second group of people is those who are under fire. And you think, I feel, I don't even feel like myself in this body. I cannot get a clear grip on anything. This is not how I intended my life to go. Is there redemption for me when I can see what the practical looks like and it's not what I want? Is there hope for me or do I just have to wait to die and go to heaven? There is hope for you in this life, in these days. God's mercies are new every morning. He has redeemed worse than you. He has come to the ground and picked up worse than you and loved them back to health. So let me speak life into you and advocate for you as I pray to our Heavenly Father who is kind, who is relentless and who is faithful. Lord, we stand here as sinners, God. None of us claim to be righteous. But God, through Your stripes, through Your cross, through Your promises for eternal life and life to the full, God, I pray that we would just be a people who are revived, Lord, that You would um, take away our fear and replace it with courage. You would take away our doubt and replace it with faith, faith that is on fire for You, Lord, faith that would um, reignite us every single day, God. And I pray that You would give us the words to speak to our loved ones, that You would give us words that just... um, just come from our spirit, Lord. You would lead us in the smallest of moments and You would give us the strength to stand over and over and over as we face trial and tribulation and hard things, God. And I pray You would give us strength that is perfectly met for that circumstance. Lord, I pray an anointing over every single person here, Lord, that we would have endurance and perseverance and the um, boldness to come to You, Lord. And that um, we would not just brush past You. We would not just run through the motions. We wouldn't be Christians who just survive on like the snack table of Your promises. But instead, God, we would just be um, head to toe from the very start of our morning to the very end of our night, living in devotion, God. We would not cease to be thankful. We would not cease to be in prayer, Lord. But we just pray that we would... um, 
just have a newness, God, roll out in this congregation and into our community, that we would be one who stands with each other. We strengthen each other's weaknesses. We encourage one another and we have life-giving words. We would be marked by something different and that is the hope that we have in eternity, not as a consolation, but as a call to courage. We take your yoke, we take your burden because it's easy and it's light and we walk in a way that doesn't conform with the patterns of this world. We are led by You and we fall on our faces in devotion to You. And for those who we are standing with, Lord, we pray that those dry bones would rise, that there would be life spoken in parts that have had death spoken over them time and time again. And those who we love and those who we see who are taking blow after blow, God, I pray that there would be light in their story. There would be healing. There would be newness. There would be joy. There would be... um, pockets of goodness that would be unadulterated by their past, Lord, and that You have positioned us perfectly to speak life and transformation into those things, Lord. And we pray in Your mighty Name, by Your mighty Spirit, to a good God.